Our guest for this edition of Happy Times and Places, Dan Rebellato, had a play on Radio 4 called You and Me on January the 4th, 2021. It is available on BBC Sounds until February the 4th, 2021. You and Me by Dan Rebellato. Welcome to Happy Times and Places, in which I, Toby Haydock, am on a mission to guess my special guests' favourite things about a Doctor Who story of their choice. Hi, Toby. I have chosen the Reboss operation. Well, hello. Uh, that was the voice of the playwright Dan Rebellato. Uh, who has chosen, as you heard, and as you know, because it's uh, in uh, all the writing uh, that you that you have read before listening to these bits, uh, we are on the Ribos Operation Episode 3. Um, I'm having a whale of a time. I hope this is a story that you like, and if it's one that you hadn't liked prior to this, it's maybe inspired you to go back uh, and watch it. If you've never seen it, why are you listening to this? Watch it first. Um, well, do what you want to do, but um, I, I think it's better better to unfold, uh, 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 you know, having me ruining it for you uh, after you've actually seen it unsullied. But I am going to press play, and I hope you are too, in three, two, one. Um, I mean, I as I think I touched upon last week, I uh, last episode, I I can sort of understand why people who, for whom Doctor Who is a uh, stories uh, stories of monsters and invasions and all of that, and that's very much me. Certainly, when I was when I was younger, I'm not sure this would have massively floated my boat if I did see it, and I may well have seen it, but I don't remember it. Um. But I know the pirate planet was must have been the repeat, and this this wasn't repeated um, at that point. Um, um, uh, Tom's fooling about a bit here. Um, uh, I'm not sure I approve of people like me calling Tom Baker Tom. I don't I don't like it when the magazine does it. When it, and, and you know if I write articles, I I use the person's surname. Uh, uh, because I don't, I don't like it when a journalist is too familiar, and especially when writing. You know, these are these are not our friends; these are our heroes. But I, I have I have worked with him, and and uh, uh, and he's nice to me. And uh, but I, I'm aware it might come across. I'm I'm aware you might judge me for it, and part of me doesn't blame you. But I'm I'm not meaning to suggest that we're bosom buddies. Um, uh, and I think as a Doctor Who fan, one should have more deference than than sometimes i think doctor who fans show the show i'm as a, you know i'm a fan i am subservient to the show uh that's that's how i see it um anyway let's not get into that it's boring um which this is not um uh but it's interesting seeing glimmers of tom's tom baker's mr baker's lord lord baker of gallifrey's uh messing about there putting garen in front of him uh all of that the, the what the scringe stone <laughs> that's brilliant uh, 
I I love the 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 payoff to that and that the the graph is you know the scringe stone in Unstop sounds so ridiculous but when Graf says it this and this is brilliant I like the way that Paul Seed goes on this journey uh, and and never sends never sends up the graph you know he is still a dangerous dangerous man and I like Sholak's sort of wry amusement he's a he's a He's an acidic uh, general who's seen it all, but it means he can afford to take his time and enjoy how amusing he finds this guy who he would kill without a second's thought. Um, I, I buy it all. I believe it all. Um, um, so, yeah, I can, as I say, I can understand why for, for people you know who like uh, a, a base under siege for some monsters this might not be their idea of what doc 2 is and i mean in many ways it's much more like uh, uh, a, a sort of funny historical the monsters are very cursory um you know it's it's setting is not futuristic uh it's you know it's in a bbc costume drama it's in a uh it is essentially you know it's almost like it's on the Oh, more blood there. I don't remember that blood. You don't see much blood in Doctor Who. It's almost like blood is slightly too realistic. Um, I, I, I know there's a bit, if you look hard, you can glimpse it. Uh, Thorn has a bit, doesn't he, In uh, yeah, when he gets a, a spear in him in uh, in The Power of Crow. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, Kondo gets his stomach blown open. That's a slightly different, that's it's more than just blood. But you don't see an awful lot of blood in uh in doctor who i thought it was a bit in day of the daleks and boaz gets killed i'm not going to sit here and adumbrate all the moments you see blood in doctor who um but i i would say it's uh you know it's not seen as often as it it would real in real life have been seen had all of the people who've died in doctor who um shed blood when they perhaps should have done um which means it's quite it's, as i say i think it's quite novel when you see it but actually in a story like this it's okay because there's there's it's uh, uh, there's there's less it's less alarming i think than if you'd seen it in a story set on 20th century earth with people who worked in shops and offices rather than sort of fruity voiced intergalactic con men uh, dressed in uh, uh, cast off costumes from a production of war and peace uh, hello k9 um how are you going to get out of the tardis uh, canine's one of course that divides people as well isn't it I, I wonder if if a lot of that is is you know people who were pre-canine who had canine introduced to them uh who, who saw it as a, a an unpleasant in saw it as an unpleasant intrusion into their series uh and people for whom you know canine my first memory is the invisible enemy so i don't remember doctor who without canine uh, now, the other Shreve here is Oliver Maguire, who's an Irish actor who, in things like uh, Ballet Kiss Angel and stuff. And I think when he died, I think he, I read, I found a death notice for him. He was a, he was a relative of the actor, the actress Tara Fitzgerald. Um, uh, but yeah, and, and he was still acting well into the 21st century, um, you know, keeping going, but uh, died in 2012, I think. Binro the heretic, and actually, again, 
on paper this is guard but uh, he he gets one of the best scenes in it uh and he does it well there's a lot of history in that and uh oh, I, I love binro the heretic i love timothy bateson timothy bateson a fine fine actor of stage and screen the first person to play basil faulty what i'll explain later uh there's nobody like the seeker in doctor who either i love the seeker the visual the makeup the performance what she is just because i mean her 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 prophecy comes true but i don't in my doctor who universe psychic prophecies don't come true i love that scream i love that that what she does with her hands there uh, and the makeup i i mean i don't i don't believe all of this this isn't i can't this i'm a rational man i could believe in a laser gun uh and a green alien monster i don't believe in uh psychic bone shakers but it entirely works in this uh in conception in execution in look in performance their reaction to it helps because these are very serious people and again they're that the, these these two guys judge their performances so brilliantly um so just when you think you know this the story is this sort of you know con it takes on a uh, this caper it's a word i've used a lot i'm aware it, it takes on this this slightly sort of odd uh you know almost you know that the, the ancient romans you know had their prophecies and their soothsayers so it's a bit like you know suddenly you uh, having had a you know a sort of uh, you know if not a comedy of errors I, i've mentioned it sort of this is a bit redolent in look of bbc shakespeare well then then uh if it, if it you know uh you, you 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 suddenly throw in the soothsayer from julius caesar as well but you know with a painted face and a screamy thing and antlers uh like sort of you, you know hern the hunter's batty sister uh but entirely uh convincingly done i and you can look you can tell that tom baker absolutely adores and admires ian cuthbertson um you know you can tell that sometimes tom baker was probably ignoring everybody and being a bit cussed uh 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 when the cameras were switched off i suspect he was having a whale of a time with ian cuthbertson uh um ian cuthbertson is in the movie gorillas in the mist of course uh and he was in a thing called sutherland's law uh he's in the last couple of episodes of survivors uh he he uh, had a fine body of work he he i th i think he became oh he's an inspector morse as well um it's a decent part in an inspector morse but i think he had a he, he became he had a stroke in the early 80s i think um so he, he ch it changed his appearance changed a little bit he, he was a bit more gaunt in some of his later uh roles but He's a marvellously twinkly actor, but totally believable. So why am I not choosing Garen? Because I don't think I am. It's almost like on that Outpost Gallifrey thing, I'm overlooking him unnecessarily 
because I'm I'm uh, uh, I'm looking at the wrong things. He is so good. I'm almost taking him for granted, though. I think is is part of it, because he, he's so good. Um, but I expect him to be good. He's Ian Cuthbertson. Um, oh, that, could, uh, oh, and that was what uh, well, I haven't talked about that. That sometimes in this, um, Tom Baker's lip. Because uh, uh, it does, it isn't in this scene. But uh, while I remember, um, uh, Tom Baker, uh, and it's it's funny. His his lip has been bitten by a dog, and to hear him tell the story, he says, "And this fellow had a dog called George, and I gave him a sausage, and I said, here's a sausage, George.' Yeah, this is Tom Baker waxing lyrical. A dog called George. That sounds like a Tom Baker story. A sausage. That sounds like a Tom Baker story. And then, of course, in the DVD making of." It's Paul Seed's dog. I think it is called George. And I think there is a sausage involved. And sometimes Tom Baker, who is, I think, a teller of tales um, <laughs> or an embellisher of tales, which is what we love about him. Um, uh, that's why he is adored uh, by people who think he's Shirley Williams whilst clasping him to their aunt's bosom. Um, uh it's a bit like when he, you know I think he, you know he talked of his, his scarf being knitted by a lady called Begonia Pope and you go yeah you've made that name up no there was a lady called Begonia Pope uh, who knitted Tom Baker's scarf in fact I was in discussions with uh, one of her relatives so I, I have emailed back and forth with uh, oh I think I think I read that he gets yes, he gets a light. He gets to say right, sir. And I think Pat Gorman, who plays Trooper Crow, uh, got an extra fifty quid for that. You increase your fee if you get a couple of lines. Uh, now, of course, they hide actors, and uh, uh, and as what would normally what in the older days would have been a speaking part is a they do a bit of an over the shoulder shot and do a bit in ADR, so they don't have to pay anybody properly. Um, so so you know parts that used to be speaking parts played by by actors are now a, a, a sort of a, a, a cheat played, you know, by, by an extra and, a, and an ADR person, which just saves a little bit of uh, money. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's probably something that only I care about, but um, it is a way of eroding the opportunities of actors. Uh, and, and, you know, the money goes somewhere, but it goes less and less to the performers. And, you know, good actors are worth their weight in gold. And good performances, they speak to us. They entertain us. They impress us. They sometimes um, distract us. Uh, they sometimes uh, give a bit of extra sparkle to something that needs it. Uh, it's, there's absolutely no question. Uh, and, and, I don't, and I try not to think of things in advance. Um because it's important that I watch this. And there have been some times when I've been surprised by a story. I go, oh, I'll choose that bit. I wasn't expecting to. There's no way I'm not going to choose a scene between two characters who've never been in Doctor Who before and are never in Doctor Who again. Neither of them played by um, particularly famous actors. Uh, you, you know, but, but Bateson, I think, was recognisable as a... As, as a as an actor because he was a very busy act character actor uh, plaskett maybe from from the advert 
but but I don't. Yeah, maybe. Um, but you know, they're not they're not people you'd ever put in a list of guest stars who've uh, you know turned up in. You'd never believe which actors have turned up in Doctor Who. The material they're given is lovely, so that's a start. The fact that this has no impact on the story at all it doesn't even have sometimes you know you get nice character moments where somebody will tell a story or something like that which it thematically you, you know echoes another element of the story gives you a nice little bit of symmetry to the storytelling or emphasizes an element of the storytelling or 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 helps to drive it or illustrate it or just keep that theme going throughout the story this is this is pretty much an unrelated segue into the private story of a character that the doctor doesn't even does he meet but doesn't have much to do with if anything i'll be interested to note actually i don't know off the top of my head and under the pressure of having to talk and entertain you um i i i think it's such a beautiful moment where two in the whole history of doctor who relatively unimportant people in a hovel away from the main plot uh where a shabby loss of a man at the end of his life if that shreve's got anything to go by this man is knackered i think that's beautiful that silent uh you know he doesn't know how to articulate how happy that confirmation makes him this knackered old man who's been called every name under the sun and disbelieved and we'll never get any sort of victory apart from somebody saying you were right. And I I know this isn't a story of highfalutin ambition, but he wrote that scene for a reason, probably to pad the episode out a bit. But my God, if you if you if if you're going to be padded out, you may as well be padded out by the best quality material. Uh, I, th I think that's an extraordinary scene. I find it terribly moving. I find it very, very well done. Um, Timothy Bateson. Yes, the first actor to play Basil Fawlty because in an episode of Doctor in the House, Doctor at Large. Great the way Timothy Bateson's looking around because he can hear the voice coming through the communicator. He's a comic character, you know, but that's so beautiful, that bit. Oh, uh, uh, but the f yes, the first iteration of the Basil Fawlty character, who was based on a, a, a horrible hotelier called Donald Sinclair, was in an episode of the Doctor series, and Timothy Bateson played the part. So obviously, as a much smaller, because he's not as tall as John Cleese, stuffier, sort of more officious uh, character of the types that Bates Bateson often essayed. Uh, so that's one of his claims. The other is that he was lucky in the very first production of Waiting for Godot. Uh, was it? It was Peter Woodthorpe, Paul Damon, Peter Bull, and Timothy Bateson. Oh, and Michael Walker, who's in the Time Monster and the Claws of Axos, is the boy. But um, yeah, the Waiting for Godot, a major moment in you know European theatre history, 
uh, and Lucky, who is a part who remains silent, uh, and then has this massive speech of, of nonsense. That's uh, a, 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 a one that uh, has no instructions to how it should be played, really, apart from the fact there's no punctuation in it. And it's a it's a really bizarre and strange thing. And the first person to do it professionally on the stage was Timothy Bateson on the English stage, anyway. Um, yeah, ever. Um, love these catacombs and these candles. This is all desperately atmospheric. It's all old tricks uh, from all sorts of, you know, dramas and films. But uh, a load of candles in a catacomb does it for me. You don't see them in Doc 2 as often as you'd think. And I think loads of candles is more atmospheric than than the sort of uh, than the Peladon, you know, flambeau on the on the wall. I don't know why. Um, yeah, I, I'm so I'm sorry. Spoiler alert! I'm I'm going to be voting for the Binro the Heretic scene. And if Dan doesn't, I I I would think he's only doing that in order to trick me out of a point. Uh, and but if if he does. That means we're even Stevens going into part four, which is very exciting because, as I say, if I if I ever win this, it will be a miracle. Um, he's I I love what Tom Baker has that 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 slight I, I I'm sort of la laughing underneath this. It's something that whilst. Being deadly serious, I mean, he's blessed with that marvellous voice and the marvellous presence and the profile. And he's got, but he can, you know, he juts his jaw and his teeth sometimes, doesn't he? With a sort of a grittier insolence. Um, but also he has that, you know, puckered flirtation with ridiculousness that's never too far away. And those eyes twinkling with intensity and madness. Uh, he's extraordinary. See, now, this is, I think, my problem. Because, I i mean, in any other story, I'd have chosen the Seeker. She's got a cross on her nose. Um, I, And, you know, Ian Cuthbertson as Garen. Paul Seed as the Graf. Uh, uh, I mean, in lesser stories, you know, Robert Keegan. Um and a special mention to his scar, which I think you know is is a, is a smart piece of makeup by Christine Walmsley Cotham. Um, so uh, you know a, a, a disclaimer that uh, an apologies for repeating myself, but I, I think it's very obvious for me to choose an actor or a performance. Um, so I I, I am going to try and. Uh, seek something more than that because I love the sort of acting in these shows and I love the sort of actors so it would be easy for me to just go episode one Ian Cuthbertson episode two Paul Seed episode three Timothy Bateson do you know what I mean so um, uh, I have to push myself in order to be as entertaining as one can possibly be whilst talking through a Doctor Who story at people I don't know are listening <laughs> but I hope you're having a marvellous time wherever you are uh <laughs> he's delightful and he's got you know he is a sort of absent-minded sort of c comic character but uh 
there's there's depth and and humanity there um and they do do lots of sort of comic business uh, <laughs> but yeah the shriven are the only monsters uh, in this and we really don't see all that much of them and i actually think the head is 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 pretty good never like a wobbly claw and i think you know if you'd been a bbc visual effects designer who could solve the problem of the wobbly claw you might have saved the caves of Androzani from a bit of embarrassment at a key moment uh that there the the Shrivenzal again at a fairly fairly important uh uh credibility moment but there we go such are the things that uh you had to contend with when making Doctor Who in 1978 uh so i hope you're liking this uh and if this is a story that uh, uh is unfamiliar to because i it's it's weird it's a story i really like it's not a story i watch often uh, if you ask me to choose which story i like more warriors of the deep or reboss operation i would say uh, which story i think is better i would easily choose the reboss operation and i think it is better in terms of the quality of production, acting, script, everything like that. There was a naughty, should I, where should I put my hands joke that uh, 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 men in the 1970s could do um, uh, that, uh, that perpetrated there. Um, and this is the episode ending, isn't it? Yeah. Um, great. Good, because I was running out of steam a little bit because it is ridiculous o'clock. Uh, and I don't want to do a disservice to this. But I think the point I was making was I, I love this story and I think it's very high quality. I have seen Warriors of the Deep more often and of an afternoon I might like the sort of the, the simple uh, base under CG business going on in uh, Warriors of the Deep more than this, which I think I have to invest in a little bit more. It's not quite as simple a pleasure. And as I say, I, I think it is better in the way that I think that uh, the Empty Child is is uh, possibly probably the best story of of that season, and yet it's a story I've watched less often than some of the others. Because I think if something is high, is is very high quality, it could, you it sometimes almost daunts you, uh, or it might just be me. But I know we, I know we do it at uh, uh, at home here when sometimes we go, oh, should we watch Inside Number Nine? Because we both love it, and then go, no, because. We're not quite in that mood. We want something almost less good. Does that isn't that weird? We, 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 yeah, um, that that sometimes if something is better quality, it is perhaps harder to digest. Which is, you know, I suppose the allure of junk food is that it is effortless. Um, so that I, th I think maybe there are easier stories to watch and let wash over you, whereas you have to. I think you have to act actively engage with this more, but you get more out of it. Yeah, um, I don't know what that proves, but uh, I, I think I was just trying to get to why perhaps, even though it's a story I love, I'm not as familiar with it as I am with others that I wouldn't publicly profess my love for, but, you know, would uh, would have a little dalliance with and then wouldn't tell anybody about. I'd use and abuse them, whereas, you know, I would introduce the reboss operation to my mother. <laughs> right. Uh I'm choosing the scene between Unstoff and Binro. It's one of the greatest scenes in the whole of Doctor Who. 
and isn't it amazing that it actually doesn't need to be there but i i unreservedly love it partially for that but for what it stands for but for the humanity at the core of it the decency at the core of it uh and the quiet not not expressed anger at the injustice that breeds it in the first place that you as a viewer feel and the unstoffs unshowy quiet you know it's not it's not a t not not tearful he's not doing a big heroic gesture just his quiet affirmation that that man was right and that that man matters uh i think is a truly beautiful moment in a story full of ripe silliness wonderful i love it i love doctor who and i love that doctor who has things like that in it i'm being terribly serious i'm sorry I'm being terribly serious about a story that is in many ways as daft as a brush. Dan's got to choose this. So in episode three, I would be surprised if you don't guess this because I think it's one of the great bits in the classic series, but it's the Benro the Heretic subplot. Uh, the Benro story, of course, is... Um, uh, it's it really is a sub subplot. Uh, Benro's role really is only to hide Unstoff quite briefly uh, for a portion of the story. So uh, and so he's easily replaceable with something else. But what they do is they create this wonderful, wonderful little subplot of of a kind of Galileo figure. But you know. Um, uh, Galileo who was tortured by the Inquisition so he's been forced to recant his um, astronomical beliefs in in stars and and uh, you know a kind of heliocentric universe and all those sorts of things uh, and you have that wonderful little sort of magical thinking wish fulfillment moment of somebody being able to come in to an entirely broken man who is right and telling him your life it has not been wasted. You are completely vindicated. And it is beautifully done. It's beautifully done. It's it's wonderfully acted by Nigel Plaskett as Unstoff and Timothy Bateson as um, uh, Binro. Timothy, uh, he, who is also an extraordinary actor with a great track record, was in the first ever cast of Waiting for Godot in, in Britain. I think he played Lucky in Waiting for Godot in, in, in the mid-1950s. So he's a really extraordinary actor. And they create a thing that carves out a little space for a story that is very unusual, I think, in the classic series, something that is that perfectly crafted and actually that emotional it's a really really moving moment in this actually very very fast-paced story where the story gives us that carves out that little bit of space for something that is very very precious i think yes he chose binro and also knew that he was in the first production of waiting for godo uh, <laughs> uh, i knew i liked him dan Rebellato. Uh, but uh, rather like the Rebos operation, I, I, uh, I know Dan and I like him, but I've not seen him as often as perhaps I should. We're very much, you know, Internet friends. Uh, uh, so, yes. <laughs> uh, so a reminder 
perhaps to tune in to the things that uh, that we like perhaps a little bit more often uh, I think we take that away with but also I think you know that point that he makes uh, about uh, you know life meaning something and it, um, I think is 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 lovely um, so yeah if you haven't given the Rebos operation much heed it's got some great stuff in it including that rather rather wonderful scene um, I think I'm going to go to bed uh, because I don't want to do this story a disservice of sleepwalking my way through episode four uh, so good night and uh, don't forget to look at the stars thanks for listening to Happy Times and Places with me Toby Haydoke my special guest was Dan Rebellato this episode's featured patrons are Rob Leonard, Stephen White, Matthew Houliston, Gregory Hudson, and Rich Wiggins. The music for this podcast is specially composed by Dave Gates, and the podcast artwork is by Dylan Patterson. Please do not forget to rate and review this wherever you can, and to please subscribe to whichever podcast feed you get it from. All that stuff really does help. And it also helps if you subscribe to my YouTube channel too, where this podcast appears in video form. Dan Rebellato's play, You and Me, is on BBC Sounds until February the 4th. You can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. There are extra goodies there. Or you can make a one-off donation to ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. Sort of if you just feel sorry for me, but don't want to be tied into some sort of relationship. (laughs) 